Welcome to the Criterion Chat, a podcast about cinema in the Criterion Collection. I'm Matt Peterson, joined by Nate Myers. Tonight, we venture into the zone with director Andrei Tarkovsky and his influential film Stalker, released in 1979. From a screenplay written by Boris and Arkady Strugatsky, based on their story Roadside Picnic, Stalker follows the title character, a mysterious tour guide who escorts pilgrims into the zone, an ambiguous wasteland rendered off-limits by some unknown apocalyptic event. Was it an asteroid? Nuclear fallout? Extraterrestrials? This proves to be an unimportant point as Stalker takes two men, a writer and a professor, to the room, a destination inside the zone that will make your deepest desires come true. Featuring lush cinematography, unique sound design, and meditations on philosophy and faith, the film's two-hour, 40-minute runtime contests the most patient viewers. Tarkovsky's trademark languid style can be maddening to some and intoxicating to others, creating a unique work of cinema that has found its way on many lists of the greatest films ever made. Join Nate and me as we ride the rail car to cinematic heaven or cinematic hell. So Nate, uh, Tarkovsky was inevitable for us, I suppose, at some point uh, along this podcasting journey. Um, I know he's a fairly divisive filmmaker. I mean, I, I feel like in general, um, most people that are into cinema, you know, eventually find their way to him. And uh, it, it seems like it seems like cinephiles tend to really praise him and worship him and and uh, find a lot to admire. And, you know, I, I'm someone that's come to Tarkovsky fairly late, and I, I have mixed opinions on him. I, I like him a lot. I mean, I, I've come to appreciate his films more uh, recently than I have, uh, you know, upon my first exposure. So I guess I thought we'd just start, you know, start there talking about Tarkovsky in general and your experience with him and, and, um, and your feelings on him in general. He's a figure that seems to me to really be of interest only to the most dedicated of cinema buffs. I don't know that he really has a footprint outside of that, at least in the United States. Obviously, if we go to other countries, that might be a different story. But within the United States, I think he really is simply something people who like to study film and are very much interested in world cinema are going to be aware of. Uh, I don't feel like there's been any real sense of an impact on his work outside of that. Uh, Solaris is the most famous of his movies to make it into the United States and was remade by Steven Soderbergh with George Clooney and uh, James Cameron, I believe, as a producer about, uh, what, 2002 or something like that. Um, So he has... uh, I can see why he's such an appealing figure to the hardcore cinemaphile, whether you like him or not. Right, I could see why he he attracts people to talk about him and to consider him either negatively or positively. Uh, my experience with him is fairly limited. Uh, I, I don't really have much of a feel for him as a person at all. Uh, I read some bit of excerpts of different interviews and got little tidbits, uh, anecdotes about him, but I wouldn't say I feel like I understand who the man was as a man. 
nor can I say I really feel like I've learned that from watching his movies even. Uh, and I haven't seen all of them. Uh, Stalker, Solaris, and The Sacrifice would be the films of his that I have seen. And uh, I would say this is, I just saw Stalker in preparation for this podcast. So it's still fresh in my mind. It's not something I've had a lot of time with to digest. But Solaris is certainly a film that I loathe. And <laughs> I know you've had a different opinion of that. Uh, and I, we don't need to go down that rabbit hole. We can maybe save that for a different time if you really want to torture me. But <laughs> I think what I would say about Tarkovsky is he certainly appeals to the academic. And I think you should consider him as an academic filmmaker. His yeah. films are made really with an eye to cinematic form and are considered really to be an exploration of what cinema is or can be. I think that's what he saw himself doing anyway. And based on that, I think you have to look at him really more or less as a, as a matter of cinematic study, uh, not so much as uh, just a casual viewer. And his films are demanding upon an audience. And result of that is you'll have a very divided audience. You'll have people who just flat out dismiss it, and it's not going to appeal to a large group. You're going to have within that group that takes it seriously and engages it, I think, a mixture of opinions. And you'll find, I think, he is hailed by some. Uh, Bergman thought of him as the greatest director of all, right? Yeah. So you'll find that he has a certain fanfare. I can't say I'm a part of that, but I also wouldn't say that I look at him as being worthy of absolute and utter disgust because I do think that he does have certainly a great amount of talent. I just think he lacks enough discipline to really make a truly great film. Yeah, he's uh, he's a very complicated director, I think. I mean, I look at Tarkovsky as someone that's interested in philosophy, interested in very large questions and using cinema as a means to explore those questions, right? Like, I look at a Tarkovsky film not really as a standard work of cinema. I, I, I don't, he, he doesn't, you know, I don't think it's a lack of understanding of the cinematic language, but he's not interested in traditional cinematic language. You know, he's interested in exploring these really grand themes and challenging questions in a way that, that he sees fit. And it can be very off putting to people. You know, I, I, I admire him quite a bit. I, I, I really come to enjoy his films. Um, you know, reading his book, uh, Sculpting in Time, I think is pretty helpful in understanding his approach and, and his thought process behind his films. Uh, but it's, he's not for everybody. And, and I, I do feel like he is fodder for kind of snobbery in, in the film community where, for where sure. people, you for know, sure. yeah, throw out his name as, oh, he's, he's the greatest of all time. And if you don't get it, then you're not a true film fan kind of thing, which I think is just unfair. And I think he's an acquired taste. And I, I think he's someone that is not going to click with everybody. Um, you know, does that mean he's not a good director? Certainly not. I mean, I, uh, he's just someone that, is challenging. And, and I think to me, he's just a, an endlessly fascinating figure just in terms of how he came out of this Soviet film system. I mean, he came out of a system that I think didn't understand what he was trying to do. And I think even Tarkovsky himself doesn't 
entirely understand what he was trying to do. And, and I think that shows in, in his films sometimes. And, and you make the point of a lack of discipline. Um, you know, I, I think he has a very rigorous intellectual discipline in his films, but from a, a filmmaking standpoint, he's not very disciplined. Like, I look at his films as having lots of excesses in them, right? Long takes, um, long sequences where nothing really seems to be happening, even though maybe in his mind there there are great depths that are being explored. Well, I don't think they're always communicated in the film, maybe in the way that he would want. So again, it's it's a matter of, you know, it's a different cinematic language that's being utilized. And, and it evolves throughout his career, too. I mean, you look at his early films like Yvonne's um, Childhood uh, versus his later films, uh, including The Sacrifice, which was shot um, on uh, Farrell Island, I think, uh, where Bergman shot his films. So yes. there... Um, there's an evolution there in his in his own exploration, his own cinematic language. Um, so I, I mean, we can go on about Tarkovsky as a figure for a while. We probably should pivot, you know, toward back towards Stalker. But uh, I guess just another more expansive question before we really get into the details of Stalker. Tarkovsky is very interested in philosophy or philosophical conversations or. Uh, just a question back to you, Nate, you know, with your philosophy background, how do you marry philosophy and film in an effective way? Right. You know, Tarkovsky is not afraid to just have two people standing and talking for long periods of time. And we see that in stalker quite a bit, you know, is that from a cinematic standpoint, an effective way to investigate these ideas or is that, not using cinema to its full potential, you know, talking versus images in film, uh, to convey ambitious ideas or ambitious, uh, points of conversation. Uh, how do you see that as being effective? You know, not only in terms of, of stalker or, um, you know, any other films you can think of that kind of go down that road and maybe are more or less successful. It's an interesting question, and I don't know that there's necessarily exactly one specific way you do marry philosophy and cinema. I think just simply having two figures talking is probably not a great use of cinema for it. That's not to say that you can't have that within a film. I'm thinking of uh, Louis Amal's My Dinner with Andre, which is that. It's two people having dinner, Mm -hmm. and that's it. Um, It's... A trying film, you know, that one, My Dinner with Andre, because cinema is meant to be more, I think. And when people are watching it, you go, there's something more that should be happening here. Now, you can do interesting things in a dinner conversation uh, in a film, right, with camera angles and editing. So I think philosophy will only really work well in a film if you're actually employing cinematic language, Simply having two actors or half a dozen actors or whatever it might be talking is not going to really use cinema as best as it can to try to convey philosophical ideas. However, to simply try to do it with just reference to visual imagery, I think, is also ineffective. I think you need to have good dialogue and you need to have convincing performances uh, to give the ideas a humanity because that's what cinema can do for philosophy. 
so I would say that Tarkovsky, well, I don't know that I really look at his films and think of them as being philosophical, to be perfectly honest. I, I do think that's what most people see in them, and that probably is what Tarkovsky sees in them. But they really strike me as being more psychological. And Stalker, to me, was a very psychological film, not so much a philosophical film, because it is very much getting into the mind of these men and asking those questions. Now, philosophy and psychology are, in a certain sense, related. But nonetheless, I think the focus here is different than a strict understanding of knowledge or existence. I think it's a look at the human person and the human mind. And so it strikes me as being more psychological in nature. The conversations appear to be that way. Even the way it's framed, uh, the stalker, as our titular character, really shapes and forms us as the audience in terms of what we see and experience and think about what's happening on the screen. We're, in a certain sense, being brought into his own mind and how he perceives the zone. So it strikes me as being an exercise more in psychology than it is in philosophy. And psychology might actually be a feature that is more perfectly shown in performance and dialogue than it is in um, set design or in cinematography. You can use those. You should use those to help accent. But I think the heart of a psychological film investigation has to be in the performances and the dialogue. Yeah, well, I, th- that's one of the things I like about this film a lot. I mean, I think you can, there's several readings, you know, I think you can glean from this. Um, I find people, a lot of people tend to take a more political reading of this film, which I think is very limited. Uh, I, I, that's another thing I guess I admire about Tarkovsky is that he is asking big questions and he's trying to find big answers. But, you know, they're not spelled out for the audience. And I I wish we saw more films today that that were this ambitious, you know, uh, successful or not. I I just feel like film in general is so bogged down in in political issues that it it really is a a waste of the medium if we just stop there. So uh, the fact that Tarkovsky has the ambition to ask these these questions and, and investigate, you know, these... Um, these themes in in a very kind of probing way uh, is is something that we're we're lacking in cinema today. But um, well, we're we're kind of I mean we're pivoting back towards Stalker here specifically. So uh, let me just get your general general take on on your first viewing of this, uh, Nate, since this was your your first time through. Um, general thoughts from the get-go before we get even more specific? In general, I'd say I liked it. I think it's strong. I do think it has its weaknesses. I wouldn't call it a great film by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I would say the final 20 minutes are self-indulgent, but I think there's some effective work being done here, and the set design is brilliant, and I would say that I also found uh, the the deliberate pacing actually really enhancing the tone and the themes. I think in Solaris, for example, it really hinders and compromises the film, but here it strikes me as working uh, much more than it has in uh, Tarkovsky's other work. I agree. I, 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 this is my favorite Tarkovsky film. I mean, at the moment anyway, I, 
I like Mirror a lot as well. Um, I think this is a significantly stronger film than Solaris, even though I do like Solaris. Uh, Solaris is more problematic to me. Um, but this is one I think I've seen about three times now. Um, and I find it, it rewards repeat viewing is quite well, actually. I mean, the first time through I, I was quite taken with it, but I, all of, all of Tarkovsky's films, I think, you know, need multiple viewings over many years to really, uh, get the most out of them. But I, I, I agree with you. The deliberate pacing, I think works very well here. And, uh, there still are moments in the film that could use some trimming. Um, the whole sequence on the rail car <laughs> before we enter the zone is, is pretty self-indulgent. As you said, I think the ending, uh, has, has some, uh, elongated moments too, that are unnecessary, but overall the, the languid pacing I think has really has an intoxicating effect, at least for me, when I watch this film, it really does draw you in. Uh, I think the length is not, an issue, I guess, for me overall, uh, I do find the conversations are engaging enough. The performances are engaging enough to, to keep my interest and, and certainly to, um, engage, you know, engagement on an intellectual level. And, and like you said, the, yeah, I think psychology is a big part of this film for sure, but, uh, I really do think there are are interesting philosophical and, and religious questions being asked here as well, you know? So, um, the idea of the zone in general, and uh, as you said, the, the set design is very interesting. Uh, it's this really, this beautiful decay, you know, throughout the film. And of course this film predates the event of Chernobyl by, um, what, seven years or so. And, what we're seeing on screen seems prophetic in many ways, you know, especially with, uh, with what happened in the Ukraine. And it's interesting, even today, uh, tour guides that take people into the, the Chernobyl exclusion zone are, they casually call themselves stalkers. So that's kind of an interesting point, but we're, you know, we're really forced to confront the idea of the zone. You know, what is the zone? It's, it's an intentionally ambiguous uh, backstory to it. It's it's this idea that you know it's this toxic wasteland or it's full of traps and dangers, but we never quite witness those dangers, and we never quite understand you know why it's such a hazardous place. I mean, it looks lush; it looks almost like paradise in many ways. So you know, the, the zone as a metaphor is, is, I guess the real question here. What, what does the zone represent? Um, so I guess I'll ask you that, Nate. I think that Tarkovsky, well, let me first say your It's interesting point about Chernobyl because watching this now, we, I think can't help, but make the association, but back in 1979, there would have been no association to make. Yeah. And I don't know enough about all of the people involved in the making of the film to know if they had concerns about nuclear fallout, nuclear disasters, if that would have been on their mind, or if this is just one of those things where future events 
give a new shape or meaning into how an audience looks at a particular work of art. Uh, so it is fascinating, though, because as I watched it, I kept thinking about Chernobyl and I kept thinking about the idea of, of the risk of nuclear age, right? Uh, so I think there is something fascinating about that. I wonder to what extent is the zone meant to be deliberately undefined in terms of what it represents and mm-hmm. a certain sort of revealing of the audience, right? You, the audience, start to take on a certain association with the zone and what it means. Is the zone just sort of a, a metaphor for life? I'm thinking of that when they're walking down the tunnel, we're told it's dangerous. As far as we're, all they did was walk down the tunnel, nothing happened. But it felt like something could happen. And in a certain sense, that's life, right? Yeah. Uh, you take risks. You're not sure. You have to keep walking it. And maybe something happens to you or maybe it doesn't, right? So I do wonder to what extent is it just simply that? Uh, is it meant to be something about the gulag? Uh, as they're entering in, everything around it has the imagery of a gulag. And so you think maybe there's something there uh, that would have been meaningful to the Soviets uh, and their citizenry. And perhaps it is simply about the inner workings of the human soul, right? Uh, the, the complexity of, of what it is to be human. And that could be another idea for the zone. Uh, I think it's actually smart not to make it very obvious and not to make it overtly political or overtly religious or overtly anything. I think having it have that sort of mystery is what makes it so intriguing. And yet there's enough material out there that you could start to pull in religious ideas or sociological ideas or humanistic ideas as you're watching this particular film. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's a a fair reading and I I guess how I saw the zone is really a representation of life itself. Right. And it's this idea of, and the, the, you know, stalker says this in the film that the zone is really what you take with you. You know, everything that happens in the zone depends on the person that is there. So the choices you make, uh, the, the path you take will influence how the zone reacts and the dangers that the zone presents to you. So in a way that's life itself. And, but it's, it's life with suffering, right? Or life, at least with the, the, the potential of suffering, or you can even go so far as to say the guarantee of, of suffering. And at the same time, without suffering, there is no idea of hope or there no idea of faith, right? And, and there kind of, there's this implication that the world outside the zone is, is devoid of, of hope and is devoid of, um, of kind of that, it's devoid of color, right? I mean, in the film, it's it's a sepia-toned, uh, decaying world, and it seems to be decaying even more than the zone itself. Whereas in the zone, it's this lush um, green ve- vegetation, and and it's an interesting choice. So Tarkovsky's saying that somehow the zone is more alive than the real world, and the zone is more real than the real world. So what what is the zone? The zone is is that is is the idea of um 
of risk and reward and and suffering versus hope and and the destination of the room and this place that fulfills your deepest desires sounds like bliss right and but it it actually represents the ultimate danger which i, I think is a fascinating idea you know, on the surface you think of you know a place that grants me my deepest desires or, or my deepest wishes that's on the surface a very appealing idea it's like the idea of winning the lottery right you know it's, it seems like a very appealing idea but then we hear about all these horrible stories of how people become bankrupt or uh, destroys their life in a way they didn't anticipate so it begs the question once you enter the room what is your reward you know what do you know yourself what your deepest desire is you may not be fully aware of that and it may be something horrible uh, and it may be something destructive. So, I mean, not to skip to skip ahead to the end, but it's ultimately why they don't desire to go in or d- decide not to go in. And it's an inter- It's a very interesting choice because I think both the writer and the professor realize that my, you know, their deepest desires are not necessarily ones they want to come true. And and that's it's the care for what you wish for kind of thing, right? Uh, but Stalker himself is, is an interesting character too, in that he is more alive in the zone than outside the zone, even though he is confronted with this endless, uh, path of danger. Somehow that makes him, that gives his life meaning, right? So the, the prospect of suffering, the prospect of death, uh, the prospect of danger and overcoming that makes him feel more alive you know watching it this time i one thing i never quite noticed was when they first arrived to the zone stalker you know kind of goes off on his own and rolls around in the grass a little bit and kind of absorbs the surroundings and when he comes back to the right of the professor he's actually smiling it's kind of a wide shot but he is happy to be there and the rest of the film he seems so depressed all the time but there's just that one moment where he's in his element and and he's willing to to leave his his wife and daughter to uh, to take these pilgrims in and hopefully provide them with a sense of hope that isn't given by the outside world. So I I guess that's what I see the zone is. It's this this gateway to a more pure existence as a human being. And a human being cannot live life without suffering. And again, without. Without the darkness, you can't have the light. So I think that's what Tarkovsky is getting at, uh, in my opinion. But um, there's a lot of ways you can read it. Are you aware, Matt, of anybody making a connection between Stalker and The Wizard of Oz? Uh, I, I guess I haven't heard that one. It was To me, it seemed pretty obvious yeah. in watching it. Now, it could be just me reading into it and what I'm bringing to it and therefore... I'm just blowing wind here. But um, I thought, well, first, the fact that it starts with the sepia tone, then they get into the zone and it's color is just like yeah. you're in Kansas, you're in sepia tone, then you're in Oz and you have color, right? Yeah. Um, and the idea that you eventually get to this special room where your great desire is going to be granted, mm-hmm. right? 
And that's the Wizard of Oz, right? The lion's going to become courageous. The scarecrow's going to have a brain. Dorothy's going to go home. But it's a perilous journey to get there, and they have to have all these different struggles and challenges and these set pieces before they can make it in, right? So I see such a strong parallel there. And I would just assume The Wizard of Oz is one of those films that would have been known to Tarkovsky, would have been known to even the behind the Iron Curtain, uh, the the people of Russia to one extent or another. So I, I see a parallel there. The difference being that this one raises that question that you're uh, positing there, which is what's really my desire? Uh, whereas you could see a certain simplicity in The Wizard of Oz. I want to be courageous because I know that's what I want and so I'm going to ask for it and I'm going to get it. And maybe learn that it was there all along. Whereas this is actually saying you don't necessarily know yourself and you might go they they talk about this previous figure porcupine right that has uh gone in came out with tons and tons of money but what we hear is that he had actually gone into the room wanting to maybe bring his brother back to life and got the money instead had despaired of this because he realized I thought that I wanted my brother back more than anything. And what I really wanted was money and kills himself because he can't live with that fact. Mm -hmm. And that's a fascinating uh, concept to explore, right? What do I know of what I truly desire? My uh, unspoken, unacknowledged desires. Are those really my deepest desires or my conscious desires, my deepest desires? And I think that's what I found fascinating in this movie. Stalker is, as a figure, really kind of the... Well, you could could think of him as Dostoevsky's idiot in a certain sense, or you could think of him as uh, a religious zealot, I think. Uh, He has that certain fervor of belief in him, Mm -hmm. and it's a belief in the zone, and the zone will do good, and people need to embrace the zone, and they have to accept that it can do good for them. And that's sort of his despair at the end. The, The professor and the writer didn't see the potential for its good, right? The the professor wanted to maybe blow it up because he was afraid of what could happen mm-hmm. if somebody evil went in there. Uh, the writer eventually has an idea in his head that, you know what? I might just not be able to know what I really truly mean, need or mean uh, for my existence. And therefore, I'm inclined to not go in because I might be afraid of my own self. And that's the despair that it causes Stalker. Because for him, it's all good. It's it's paradise. It's heaven. And how would you not accept that? So I don't know. I, I'm just wondering if there is a purposeful parallel with The Wizard of Oz. It's an interesting connection. I mean, there certainly seems to be some parallels there. Um, I guess I haven't read that you know connection being made directly or any evidence that Tarkovsky looked at that film as inspiration. I mean, of course, this is based on the story Roadside Picnic, but the the film version, you know, deviates pretty drastically from the original text, uh, even though the screenplay um, was written by the same authors. Um, yeah, it's. I suppose you could you know make a parallel between any Homer esque you know Odyssey like story. Uh, to this film or, you know, between this film and, and other stories like that. But I do think that 
I, again, there's a lot of readings with this film, and I, I think people get caught up in some of the minutia, some of the minutia of the conversations that takes place or that take place throughout the film. But I think there are bigger questions being asked here, and Tarkovsky is is really interested in in the metaphorical, you know, aspects of, of this story. But, um, well, let's get into kind of more, some more technical details in terms of the film and your impressions of that. Uh, again, it's interesting. This is a product of, of the Soviet system. I, this of course was Tarkovsky's last film he made in Russia, uh, or, you know, through a Russian studio. Uh, he was, kind of forced into exile uh, after this. And I think he made only two other films after this, Nostalgia and um, and Sacrifice, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, it's amazing that he was able to kind of make these films, I think, in, in the system that, uh, that was existing. And I, I think the authorities were very... Uh, suspicious of Tarkovsky or uh, again they always saw his films through a political lens like they saw everything else so uh, it's it's kind of a uh, an ironic situation or at least a sad situation because I think Tarkovsky finds politics just not very interesting and of course the system which he was working was viewing everything through that lens so it was a big constraint on him Uh, this film actually a majority of it was shot and scrapped, or the the film that was originally shot, uh, I think was developed improperly, and and the footage was unusable. And Tarkovsky almost completely abandoned the film, but they, of course, went back and basically reshot the entire film. And the production itself is quite legendary in terms of how grueling it was, how long it was, how hazardous hazardous it was to the crew and actors. Many people, including Tarkovsky himself, uh, came down with cancer after working on this film. And a lot of people say that uh, the cancer that eventually took Tarkovsky's life was because of exposure to toxic waste uh, in the areas they were shooting Stalker. So it has kind of this mythology surrounding the making of the film itself. Um, You know, Definitely an influential film. You know, I think of um, Alex Garland's Annihilation owes a lot to this film. Very and, much so. I was thinking of that watching it. Those, yep. They're very, very indebted. Yep, yep. So clearly that, that was a huge inspiration, and, and this has been uh, really a benchmark film just in those, the whole post-apocalyptic genre, I would say. Um but back to some of the more technical aspects, uh, again, cinematography front and center here, lots of long takes. I think there's only about 150 shots in the entire film, with most shots being several minutes long. Uh, any, any thoughts just on the filmmaking style itself? I know we kind of touched on it before that the languid pacing does help the film. Uh, but there's some interesting blocking here, uh, some interesting camera moves focus poles, very deliberate, uh, deliberately planned shots during these long takes that I think are quite impressive when you look at them from an execution standpoint. Uh, 
one thing in Tarkovsky's films that there's occasionally always a little bit of sloppiness in some of the camera work, either the, you know, the zoom is maybe a little too quick in one spot or, um, or the, the dolly moves are maybe not consistently or at a consistent speed. It kind of speaks to the analog nature of, of filmmaking at the time. I mean, these are camera operators that are doing everything manually, obviously. So there's going to be bits of imperfection in, in some of the shots and that stands out in Solaris quite a bit to me, but, uh, thoughts just from a technical standpoint, cinematography, any other technical aspects that stood out to you, Nate? I was actually really happy with the aspect ratio, uh, Mm. doing it in the Academy aspect ratio. Yeah. I saw, especially in the beginning, it really does give that sense of another world. Uh, whether it's just a world of a of a different era or a different world altogether, I think it just highlights it, especially having it in the sepia tone at the very start. Yeah. But it also gives a certain kind of sense of almost a documentary by having it in that ratio. If you put it in the scope ratio, which I love the scope ratio, I think it works beautifully and it would have worked beautifully here, but it would have had a different feel as a result, right? I think the Academy ratio here really gave me the sense of, this could be something that really did happen, right? They really are going to be going to some sort of forbidden zone, and we're not supposed to really know about this. And mm-hmm. there's a group that's kind of documenting these people's travels uh, under the hiding of the authority. It's not documentary style because it's obviously, like you said, intricate camera works, long takes, handheld is not what's happening here. So you don't have that style, but it does nonetheless kind of lend it a credibility if I put it in that ratio. And I agree with you. There's some interesting blocking that's taking place with the actors, how they move and interact with one another. I think particularly when the writer is first approaching where the room is in in that building, right? He's just going to walk out towards it. Just how everything's held in that long shot and you see the environment and them moving within the environment. It gives you that sense of the space of the zone, right? So I think the cinematography is a huge part of the success here, as is the production design. Uh, I think whether it's the tunnel, whether it's when they're in that, the sort of the sand pits, right? Yeah. Uh, even it's just so... that right they're on the threshold of the room, uh, you know, all of those things just add to it and make this a very visually rich uh, thing. And it does, I think, kind of highlight the themes uh, of the film, right? I think that the sense of the decay are, is articulating for us a world without hope and why there would be an, uh, an appeal for the room, right? Because everything's falling apart. Uh, so let's go in there. Let's see what we really can. Can we have some good come of this? Yeah, and, and there are some visuals that are, I'd say fairly on the nose. I mean, that long tracking shot through that kind of wastewater with all the debris and we see a picture of Christ and we see syringes and we see kind of the the refuse of society. You know, these are things that have been discarded in this world and these are maybe the consequences of that. You know, it's kind of a... Um, I mean, I think Tarkovsky clearly is familiar with Nietzsche, you know, in terms of this idea that modern thought has led to the impact, you know, abandoning God and or, or abandoning um, Judeo-Christian values or, you know, however you want to phrase it. I, I do think that's something that Tarkovsky is saying here. 
Um, but I, I think the film is beautiful. I mean, that, that sand pit set, as you mentioned, is just visually stunning. Uh, the execution of some of these long takes, I think, is pretty impressive in terms of there's, you know, crane moves and, and racking focus and, and panning and, and dollying, sometimes all in the same shot. I mean, they're just some pretty meticulous uh, camera work and, and impressive execution here. And, and the long takes really serve to draw you in as a viewer. And, and I think the conversations and the performances are um, strong enough to, to maintain those takes, right? You know, we probably should uh, mention some of the cast here. Uh, of course, Anatoly um, Solonitsyn was the title character in Andrei Rublev. So yeah, he was Tarkovsky's favorite actor. Uh, he was in Solaris as well. Uh, so here he is again, front and center, does a great job. Um, you know, it's a very, very small cast. I mean, there's only five people in the cast, really, right? Other than the the soldiers who are really extras in the, right. in the beginning. And the dog. And the dog, yeah. Uh, so it, it really is a lesson in in what you can do with very few elements as well. I mean, that's another thing I love about this is, you know, a film this engaging, at least to me, with, with these fairly sparse elements. Uh, granted, I, the production design, as you mentioned, is great. And I think a lot of, a lot of the work that was done in there is fairly transparent to the audience. You know, when they, arrive in the zone and we see kind of the those twisted pieces of metal and and burned out hulks of cars and tanks and it almost looks like things that they just found that were just there but these are all things of course that were brought in and and designed and built and uh it's really an accomplishment in again making decay beautiful even just the opening shot uh, or the opening when we're pushing into the stalker's bedroom, it it's so perfectly decayed in an artistic way. And we see that in other Tarkovsky films too. He's just very interested in combining natural elements into structures and into buildings and and this idea of nature encroaching on things that man has made and, and nature taking those elements back is something we see a lot in Tarkovsky's work. And it's used to great effect here. I mean, the zone is consuming the uh, the man-made world, right? And and those power poles uh, we can almost see as, you know, crucifixes uh, in a way in the beginning there when they, when they first arrive at the zone. So there's a lot of religious imagery here, at least to me, uh, whether it be on the nose or more uh, more abstract, uh, it's it's something that again I think repeats or uh, rewards repeat viewings because you can pick up on those details more um, as as time goes by. Well, I think that's part of the film's strength. It's there is a lot going on in it. There's a lot of ideas. There are interesting images. I think some of them are too obvious, however. Uh, yeah. the, the religious imagery strikes me as being very obvious. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of me kind of was, in a certain sense, a little like, hmm, you know, late 70s, Soviet Union, 
being that overt with your religious themes and imagery, okay, okay, give uh, Tarkovsky some credit there, right? That's that's kind of taken uh, a little bit of gumption with uh, an atheistic totalitarian government over your back, right? Well, he paid the price so for I, it too, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he did. And so you, you can't exactly fault him and say like, well, you hack, because I don't think that's what he is. But it is also, you know, watching it nearly 40 years later, a little less interesting, right? Because you go, eh, I get it. You know, it, it's not to me as, as interesting if you had been more subtle, uh, and that would have been to me a better overall film as a result of it. Uh, I think, you know, he has perhaps a little bit too much of a spelled out story for the stalker's wife, uh, particularly giving her that monologue at the end. Mm-hmm. I wish it wasn't there. Uh, it would have been so much more interesting just to have their conversation. She gets him into bed and it stops there. Yeah. But that monologue just struck me as a little pretentious, right? Well, uh, and in it's, the, you know, direct, the direct, direct, direct camera, camera address. Exactly, like, yeah. Stop it. Stop it. You know, this is insulting <laughs> to me. Uh, so I, but I did find nonetheless that, you know, this is a film that not that I would want to go back to frequently, but I certainly will want to watch it again in the future to appreciate it, uh, to appreciate its approach to a science fiction genre. And that's maybe a piece we haven't really talked about, but just to think about this as a science fiction, work of science fiction, um, right on the heels of things like Star Wars in the United States, uh, it's it's a refreshing way of approaching science fiction with less of the sensational approach and more of the intellectual intel, uh, intelligentsia approach to the genre, yeah. uh, which is always welcomed for me. Yeah, me too. I mean, I think, um, yeah, Tarkovsky is interested in using that as a device. I mean, he is not terribly caught up in the idea of science fiction itself i don't think uh again this is just a a means for him to investigate these questions um yeah well you know i I think it's a film everyone needs to see at some point if you're into film i think it's an important film uh it's always going to be a divisive one though and something that is not going to click with everybody and it's understandable. You know, I, if someone doesn't like stalker, not going to hold it against them, you know, but it's, uh, definitely worth, worth checking out, but let's, uh, let's talk about criterion's release here specifically. So this was a, uh, release that was a long time in coming. I think there were rumors of it being released for restored for, quite a while and finally came out, I think in 2017 came out. Yeah. It was about a year ago. Yeah. Uh, it was a, a fall of 2017. I remember when it was announced, uh, Matt, you sent a GIF, uh, of Michael Scott, but <laughs> it's happening. It's finally happening. <laughs> so I, I can yeah, appreciate I your excited. enthusiasm. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't share it, but I appreciate it for your sake. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was happy that it was finally making its way, and I, I hope uh, I hope the mirror comes out here soon too, because I think that's one that deserves a, a good release. But uh, I think you have a good chance. They, yeah, they obviously I, like Tarkovsky at Criterion. I'm sure if they can get all of his films, they will. 
it's going to happen. I, it'll probably happen next year. It, it was on Filmstruck with Criterion branding, and it was actually kind of cool because on the on the Filmstruck image, the Criterion kind of quasi cover was actually in, in a mirror image. So it was a little little bit of an in joke there, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, I think likely it'll be coming out. But this disc, it's it's a beautiful restoration. It's two K restoration. Uh, which it just looks great. I, I do think the, the sepia sequences are a little too yellow to me. I mean, I, I don't know, of course, how the original film looked at the time of its release, but it definitely has a pretty strong yellow tint to me, whereas prior versions of the film were definitely more straight-up sepia tone. Of course, prior versions of the film were just in poor quality, so... Uh, again, hard to say which one is is more accurate. Uh, there is a new interview with Jeff Dyer, um, who authored a book on on Stalker, and there are a couple interviews too with the composer, set designer, and uh, I believe the second cinematographer, the original cinematographer, I think had a falling out with Tarkovsky, and they were involved in that. Uh, original shoot that um, the the footage was damaged. So it, kind of sparing in terms of extras on this, I think at the time of release, people were a little disappointed that it wasn't more stacked and there wasn't a commentary. And But I, I'm actually okay with a lack of commentary here. Again, I, I think this is a film that doesn't really merit full explanation, which commentaries tend to do. I, I, um, I think from an academic standpoint, you know, there's probably enough to digest here. There's a good essay in the uh, in the fold-out booklet as well. I, I have mixed feelings on the cover. I think the cover is interesting. I like the 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 graphic with the the bolts, of course, or the bolts or the nuts that he uh, throws in the film uh, with the, the hand image, kind of in that dirty pool. But I actually like the image on the pamphlet better with Stalker's head, like, upside down. I think that's kind of... It doesn't even necessarily need to be upside down, but just Stalker's head, I think, is a, a nice image that encapsulates the film. And we have so many shots of heads in this movie. Uh, and the the Academy ratio works well for photographing the human head. Uh, <laughs> but any thoughts on the release itself, Nate? Well, like you, I would say the supplements are light. Uh, I actually, I like the interview with Jeff Dyer. Yeah. The, the interviews with the various filmmakers that were a part of it, I kind of found them a little, I don't know if the word's tedious, but you know, the, particularly with the, with the score, yeah. uh, the way they were using incorporating music into that, and it just kind of got distracting. And so I, I didn't really care for it very much. So I could see if you're a big fan of this movie that, this release would actually be maybe a bit of a disappointment. It mm-hmm. looks pretty good. Uh, like you, I can't say, did they get the right exact uh, amount of um, sepia tone, right? I don't know. Uh, I agree it doesn't look quite like full sepia tone, but I mean, it looked fine. I, mean, I, I can't say I thought it was bad. And you all just assume that it's based on their research and their work close to what they could approximate was supposed to be the case uh, for the original imagery. Uh, obviously knowing Tarkovsky's gone, right? You know, he's been dead for 30 years, so we're not going to be able to get his input on any of these things. Yeah. Um, 
no, but I, I think as far as an overall film uh, or release of the film, I think it, it looks good. The cover art is intriguing. I mean, it does have a kind of a neat appeal to it. Uh, but I will say, I, I just don't know that the hand really probably is, is the image that I would take from this film. Um, I do think it's the idea of how the, the, the ribbons and the bolts are incorporated into the artwork uh, is very nice, but it just strikes me as that's not the imagery I would take, whether it be a head or whether it be of the room or something, I don't know. Uh, but uh, otherwise I think it's, it's a, it's a certainly for people who've been wanting this film in the U S for a while, they finally got it and should be good with the release overall. I did actually pick up the poster for this. I haven't, it's sitting in a tube still. I haven't framed it. Uh, I, I mean, I just like the movie so much that I thought it'd be worth having that, that print. Uh, but I, to me, the most striking imagery in the film really comes from the room with, with the sand dunes. Um, so that, that may have been a better, better choice to go with. Maybe they thought that was too obvious of a choice. I don't know. Uh, I think I think the tunnel right might be the more obvious one. Yeah, I mean, maybe. that to me was the the sequence that was probably the most riveting uh, in the whole film, and it kind of I, might be the most thematically potent of them all. Yeah. Well, uh, thought I guess in closing, uh, thoughts on on Stalker does it uh, does it belong in the Criterion Collection? I'm going to say yes, because I think Tarkovsky, even though he's not my cup of tea, is nonetheless a prominent figure in the history of cinema. And I think this certainly does articulate his ideas and his approach to cinema very well. Um, I, uh, just listening to different Tarkovsky scholars, that's kind of the consensus there as well. And he was very satisfied with the work as being an achievement that he was proud of. So I think it does belong there. Now, I don't necessarily share its enthusiasm as one of the greatest films ever made, whereas I know there are those that have that kind of opinion of it. But nonetheless, I would say it is important. Uh, it certainly was a pivotal uh, film in the career of Tarkovsky. It changed the course of his life, right, being basically in an, uh, in an exile from the Soviet Union after this. Uh, I think uh, it definitely has a, a, uh, enough merit to be in the Criterion Collection. I agree. I mean, I think it should be there. I, it's my personal uh, favorite. Tarkovsky, of course, that's not a reason to put in the collection, but uh, I do think it's considered by many to be his best film. It's a very influential piece of work and definitely important for, for Tarkovsky being his last Soviet film. But I, I think it's probably the best representation of him as a filmmaker, not only from a stylistic standpoint, but in terms of the questions he really has been exploring or has explored throughout his work. So uh, it's really a window into him as a, as a human being, you know, even just beyond uh, a film director. So I think it's important that it's included and glad it's there. Well, thanks for listening uh, this evening. 
Our next film will be the first film of the Avum trilogy, Pather Pachali, which will be released the first Friday in February. Thanks for listening, and have a good night.